0: Hi, everyone. This is Tracy Fenton, founder of World Blue and the World Blue Academy, and welcome to the Freedom at Work podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think with a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, and finally, how to build a freedom-centered culture for your team or workplace. This podcast is about answering one key question. How can you, as a leader, use freedom rather than fear to unleash the full potential of individuals, teams, and organizations in order to achieve breakthrough results and change the world for the better? If you want to explore the answers, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to part two of this podcast episode. You talk about this more in your in your book, The Chief Joy Officer Rich, this the values of a joyful leader. Tell us a little bit about what some of those values are. Yeah,
1: we have a lot of values that go throughout all of Memlo or the entire organization. As I started thinking about the content of this book, which is going to be particularly focused on what does it mean to be a joyful leader, I realized that there is a set of values. That if you choose to lead, you have to exhibit these values on top of the rest of the Menlo values. Things like being authentic, humble, loving, optimistic, visionary, yet grounded in reality with an uh, inordinate focus on being a servant leader. Mm. And those are the values we ascribe to what does it mean to be a true, joyful leader at Menlo.
0: How much do you think an individual's self-worth, meaning how comfortable they are with themselves, correlates with their ability to be a true, joyful leader?
1: I don't think you get to lead another person if you can't first lead yourself.
0: Amen. So true.
1: And I think if you're walking in the door or going through life and you have a, uh, a poor self-worth view, you're probably thinking yourself, well, why would anybody else want to follow me? I don't even want to follow me. And so I think that's, that's critical. And, and this isn't about being superhuman. Uh, this is uh, about being comfortable in your own skin for who you really are. And there's a great exercise I talk about in the book that goes right to the heart of this, uh, because sometimes we don't see ourselves as we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words uh we've had it programmed into us probably from first grade on uh don't focus on your strengths as marcus buckingham would tell us in, in his books but but spend all your time thinking about where you're our weakest make sure that negative self-critical voice is just running rampant in your head all day long that, you know so the first person who's going ge- to generate fear in your head is you That's right. (laughs) And so we went to the Center for Positive Organizations here at the University of Michigan Ross School of Business. And they came up with this exercise called the Reflective Best Self Exercise. And the idea is reach out to a handful of people, maybe anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen of your closest friends and colleagues, and simply ask them to write you a letter about when you were at your best. As a friend, as a citizen, as a parent or a child, or as a colleague at work. I and love that. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you, and I tell people in the book, when you get these letters, have a box of Kleenex nearby because you are going to be astounded at what an amazing human being you are. And then I tell them, tell that negative voice person in your head, hey, why don't you, just for today, go take a walk? A long one, because I need to be by myself with these letters. And I'm going to revel in the amazing person I am through the eyes of others. And you will start to read these amazing stories about things you've done that, quite frankly, here's the weird thing. I mean, this is the part that's almost, you know, unimaginable for people. The stuff they're going to write about is the stuff that actually comes very easy to you. Mm-hmm. It's the stuff where you shrug your shoulders and say, well, yeah, of course I do that. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people wouldn't do that. You do that because you are uniquely qualified to deliver that kind of positive effect in the world. And you need to revel in that because that's the true value you're bringing to the world as a human being. And each one of us is unique in our way. And that's what we need to bring. And so, Absolutely those tiny moments of delivering life-changing experiences, probably things you would have never guessed you were good at, or that if you were good at them, that they were actually important to all the people around you. And suddenly you start to realize that you can simply be who you are and deliver great value to the world.
0: You know, the self-worth conversation we're finding is so vitally important. And in the 20 years that we've been doing this work, we found that leaders who don't feel comfortable with who they are really struggle with this idea of building a freedom-centered culture, freedom-centered environment. And so that's something we work on a lot and teach a lot at World Blue is how to have a greater sense of self-worth. And I love this idea of the letters, that you talk about and and the things that we sometimes we have to tell those gremlin voices, as my mother would always say, tell it to go take a long walk off a short pier. So (laughs) you know, that's that's what we have to do and and get that fear out of our own heads, like you said, so that we can really realize our fullest potential with which I think is is our is our divine right as human beings to do. So I, I love what you're saying about that and how important that is, Rich. And, and I want to now talk a little bit more about the phenomenal culture that you've built at Menlo through these best practices or systems and processes. And one of the things that we found at World Blue in our research is that there's a 75% correlation between the systems and processes or best practices that an organization does and how freedom-centered its culture is or isn't. So those systems and processes really make a difference. And of course, at World Bureau, we believe that framework for freedom is organizational democracy and that there's 10 principles that make up what organizational democracy actually is. And one of those principles is accountability. And I know, you know, you can't, we talk about freedom, and of course, freedom doesn't mean a free-for-all or laissez-faire, you know, inmates running the asylum, Freedom has to have accountability. It's the only way you can really have freedom is with accountability. So I remember the story you told me that I absolutely love about someone who came to visit your office and asked you about accountability at Menlo. And will you share that story with our listeners?
1: Yeah, Cam came, he was was part of a tour that came from Nationwide Financial to visit us. And he asked, he says, who do people report to here? And it was... One of those questions that I hadn't gotten before, and I'd been teaching some version of this class for almost seven years at that point, point. and Cam probably thought it was a pretty easy question, and I was confounded by it, and I probably had a funny look on my face, and I said, hold on a second, Cam, and I went and grabbed five people from the team, and I pulled them up in front of the class. I didn't tell them why. We were teaching the class right in our space, so it was pretty easy to go grab a few people. I lined them up in front of Cam. I went to the back of the classroom. And I said, Cam. Ask them your question. And and he was probably getting a little frustrated with me because he just thought he was asking a simple question. He says, okay, who do you guys report to here? And if I'd only had a camera, (laughs) they tipped their heads up to the ceiling. They put their thumbs in their chin. They looked back and forth. They started talking about the process. Some talked about the customers. Some said, well, sometimes the project managers and, and then Almost simultaneously, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Ten hands, fingers pointed, crossing their arms, and pointing to each other. Mm. And Cam looks at him and goes, no, 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 you don't understand the question. <laughs> he says, let's say you're going to hire somebody. Who makes the hiring decisions? And he said, well, we do. And they talked about our extreme interviewing practice and how it's all team-based and the team makes the decisions as to who gets the second interview, who gets the third interview, and who ultimately gets a position, and quite frankly, how much they come in at, you know, in terms of uh, initial pay rate. And Cam's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I get that, uh, but what about promotion decisions? Who makes those? What about annual performance reviews? And I told him, that, well, actually, we don't do annual performance reviews at all because we think that's one of the most egregious tools American management has ever invented. Agreed. <laughs> uh, ruins everybody's December. Yep. <laughs> uh, but they talked about our feedback process and how it's all peer-based and that your peers make the promotion decisions. And now Cam's looking at us a little funny. He's like, okay, all right, I get it. How about firing? They said, yep, that's our decision too. Now they said we won't Not going to do it without a lot of consultation with Rich and James. And quite frankly, if Rich and James want to let somebody go, they're going to consult with us. So every one of our practices, every one of our processes, every one of our people-based systems is, in fact, run by the team. And they feel great responsibility and accountability to each other. And we start teaching this from the moment of our very first interview. Because what we do is we bring people in, in in a group. We just did it this past week. 20 people came in all at the same time, about four o'clock in the afternoon. We paired them with other candidates because this is our work style. We work in pairs here. And we told each person, your job is to be accountable to the person sitting next to you. Make your partner look good. Help them if they need help. Support them. Help them get a second interview even though they're competing for the same position you are. But we will judge you in this particular session based on how well you support this stranger sitting next to you who's trying to get the same job you are. We switch those pairs three times, send you all home, and then talk with each other about what we saw.
0: I talk with so many companies where the hiring and firing still rests with HR, you know? And rather than giving power to your people to let them hire who makes sense for them to work with and teaching them how to do that. And that's part of decentralizing leadership to every single
1: person. Yeah, let me add one thing here, too, I think is very important for your listeners to consider. And that is that if you're going to be intentional about your culture, its aims, its goals, its practices, uh, the way you state values and everything, and those same values, do not express themselves in the recruiting and interviewing and decision-making and hiring process and the onboarding process, you will not attain your intentional goals for your culture. You have to build them into all of your people-based systems, or you will confound the entire system with two competing systems, competing systems of rewards, I hear this is what the bosses want or the leaders want. I hear this in the, in the uh, statements that are pinned up in the lunchroom about our mission, our purpose, our values, and our vision for our company. And yet every people-based system I see is diametrically opposed to the posters in the wall in the lunchroom.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It has to be built in from that very first moment. Is what I hear you saying. That intention and being very conscious about it. And when you do that, when you begin rightly, you're going to end rightly with the result. I love how you guys do that. There's more in your Joy Inc. book about the hiring and firing. Let's also talk, Rich, about one of these really hot button, hard topics, which is how do you do salaries? You know, let's talk about the principle, democratic principle of transparency. How do you guys tell our listeners, if you would, how you determine salaries, and some of the other practices you have around that.
1: Yeah. For years, we have practiced open book finance around all of the metrics of the business, uh, revenues and expenses and profits, and uh, you know, the weekly cadence of the business in an open book management meeting. But another backdrop to our openness is that everyone here at Menlo knows what everybody else is making because it's displayed on a wallboard display that, quite frankly, the entire world can come see when they visit. And uh, there are 18 different pay grades here. And if your Post-it note is in the box for Associate One, you know you're making exactly the same amount of money as everybody else in that same box. And the only way you make more money here at Menlo is to move from Associate One to Associate Two and then again to associate three, and then from associate three to consultant one. The only way you move from one box to another is through peer evaluation. So your peers are literally deciding both your level in the system and the fact that the level is tied to an exact pay grade. So everyone here knows what the pay grades are. They know what everybody else is making, and it's publicly displayed. Mm. And it's all controlled by the team. I have no say. I, I can influence. I can, I can raise my hand and say, hey, I think so-and-so is doing really well. I think you should talk to them. And you know, I can certainly see uh, opportunities for people who are, I think are ready to move up, but it's ultimately based all on peer evaluations. Now, I will tell you, when, when uh, some of our tour guests come and they see this public display of our, our pay levels... And we don't put the numbers up there for the world to see, but you can see who's in each box. So relative to one another, you know exactly what everybody's making and who's making more than another. They literally hyperventilate.
0: Events. I bet they do. I bet some of our listeners are doing that right now. <laughs>
1: They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Well, think about it, right? What what typically drives this is clever negotiation, what's the current situation? Here's a boss who knows how to get more for their people, and this other boss doesn't. And so you end up with this arcane system of pay that if you actually exposed that people would be like, how on earth did you come up with this? But our system, because it's publicly displayed, actually makes sense to everybody on the team. And when it doesn't, it's obvious, you know, that it's, there's some kind of outlier. There's somebody who's languishing in a particular position There's somebody who seems like they moved up faster than they should have. And so the system has its own sort of checks and balances. Now, here's the part that I love, and it was literally based on a question somebody at a tour asked me once. They said, so how's Menlo doing on equity around gender? Because that's a hot-button issue in the world
0: as well. Yeah, definitely.
1: And I said, well, I looked at One Box Consultant 3, and I said, you should at least know that everybody in this box, whatever their names are, are making exactly the same amount of money. And you will see there are men and women, there are programmers and high-tech anthropologists, QA and project managers, front office people, and so on. But everybody a consultant three knows they're making exactly the same amount of money. So there's no question in our team's mind that if you're comfortable with your level, you know you're equitable in terms of your pay with all of your peers at that same level. So that, is, that takes that off the table right away. But they're like, yeah, but how are women doing in general? And I said, well, let me look. And so I started reading from the top of the pay grades backwards, and I just called out their names as uh, you know, I just spoke their names as I read through. And even I was stunned what I saw because I'd never looked at it through this lens before. And as I read the names, it was Carol, Carol, Michelle, Keely, Emily, Lisa. And then finally, Ted and Ian. And so, you know, I I think I read off the top six paid people here at Menlo are women. And I got a little nervous. I said, oh, maybe we do have a gender equity problem, (laughs) but it's the opposite one the world's worried about. And so the fact of the matter is, uh, it's all peer based. And the peers, for some reason, are elevating the women uh, in some ways farther, perhaps sometimes faster than the guys. And I wonder now. Somebody from a university should come and do a study on us, and maybe we'd find out that in our highly collaborative environment, women excel as leaders, uh, uh, perhaps more naturally than uh, than some of the men do.
0: That would be a great PhD dissertation, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> I love that. You know, you think about this conversation around legislating so that we can close this this gender pay gap, and you guys already have a solution that any company could start to implement tomorrow. You know, boom, right there, that takes care of all of that and and does honor women equally as men to the work that they do. When someone wants a raise, Rich, when they want to go up to that next level, tell our listeners a little bit more about that process.
1: Yeah, it can go in one of two ways. Uh, you might be the shy type that's unwilling to ask. You think, oh, I'll wait a little bit. I don't think I'm ready yet your peers will come find you. If you're simply excelling in your work, your peers will pull you aside and say, hey, uh, Joe, uh, we think we should sit down with you. We wanna have a lunch with you. We wanna talk about how you're doing. We think you're ready to move up. We wanna have that conversation with you. So it could be, be peer led. And then uh, on the flip side, you might think you're ready. And so you could raise your hand and say, hey, I would like to have a feedback lunch. Maybe not to move up tomorrow. Uh, or right now but I'd like to know how I'm doing and I'd love love to know if I'm ready to move up awesome but if I'm not what do I need to work on and your peers will sit down with you over lunch we call it a feedback lunch and Talk about those very things. You'll talk about how you think you're doing. They'll talk about how they think you're doing. A lot of times, the disconnects often are around you might be narrowly focused on a particular skill set, think you're excelling there. But in in Memlo's world, as you rise up the ranks and as you get more higher grade here, uh, higher ranking and level, it's more about looking outside yourself, outside your particular role, taking care of the whole business, the whole team, and so on. And ultimately, once you become a senior here, which is the first sort of official anointing into leadership, that's where we make sure that we're clear with you that the servant leader model has now fully kicked in. You are now seen not as individual contributor as much as you are seen as teacher Mm -hmm. supporting those around you.
0: You know, that's so powerful. Rather than oh, the annual review and does my boss like me or not? And will I get that raise and that bonus? And oh my gosh, you know, the source of so much fear, right? As you guys have completely democratized this process, again, giving power to your people, it just brings a greater sense of freedom and possibility and joy. You know, you understand the rules, how it works and how to advance. And that is so empowering. Well, think
1: about the typical annual performance review that has those two buttons that you're trying to hit. One says meets expectations, and the other one says exceeds (laughs) expectations, right? And I always ask people, I look them in the eye when they're on the tour, I'm like, how many of you ever went into your annual performance review thinking to yourself, yeah, I pretty much just met expectations this year? I I squeaked. (laughs) No, everybody's going in and saying, I tore the cover off the ball this year. And then the boss says, well, you know, uh, unfortunately, only 3.4% of my direct reports can get an exceeds expectations. And you got one last year. So I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter how well you did. You're going to get a meets expectations because I have a quota. And think about how you unplug the battery of your team members in that moment. And probably that battery never gets plugged in again.
0: Absolutely, and so you're keeping it just plugged in and moving along. And so, Rich, for those people who are who are listening, and maybe you know they they think, "Oh my gosh, I don't know that we could ever achieve this level of freedom at work within our organization." Where where do you advise people to start?
1: Yeah, I have encouraged people the world over and the ones who have taken me up on what I'm about to say have achieved amazing results very quickly. And it is with one simple action oriented mindset shift driven by a simple phrase, let's run the experiment. Mm. And the idea here is, you know, if somebody heard something on this podcast or or read something in one of the books you recommend, maybe one of my books, and they're excited. They, maybe they went to a conference. Maybe they attended the World Blue Conference, and they come home, and they're, they're, their head is just filled with new ideas, and they want to run with one. They grab somebody, the first person they meet who hasn't been to the conference, hasn't read the book, hasn't heard the podcast. And they're like, I have this great idea. And the person on the receiving end looks at them and says, oh, that won't work here. That's against policy. Uh, we've tried that in the past. It doesn't work. And right then and there, you know the idea dies because you got meetings to run to, emails to attend to. You're busy. And so right then and there, it just stops its tracks. And what I've told people the world over is I want to arm you with one simple response in that moment, pre-programmed. Look them in the eye and say, I get it. But let's try something before we defeat it. Let's run the experiment and see what happens. Let's take an action orientation and do something. And I have seen companies as large as Mass Mutual Corporation, a 169 year old firm, General Electric Corporation, start making big changes quickly. And I'm not talking about changing the whole organization and in an instant, but you can just change your piece of it. You don't have to change the whole world. make a difference. You can just change your part of the world.
0: I remember when I first heard you say that phrase, let's run the experiment. And we've adopted that at World Blue and we say it all the time, right? Instead of overthinking it and overanalyzing it and everything, let's just run the experiment and see how it goes. So I love that, Rich. And I think that's an absolutely perfect way to start. Just run the experiment,
1: Rich. And let's not have the action be, well, let's form a committee. Let's write a policy.
0: <laughs> yes, we don't need to write any new policies. Just run the experiment, see how it goes, <laughs> iterate on that process. Yeah,
1: That's I tell the story in my next book about how Mary Barra, when she took over as CEO General Motors, she was confronted with a 10-page dress code. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> she threw it that out. It still
0: exists? Oh, my goodness. Yeah,
1: and she threw it out, and she replaced it with a two-word Policy that said dress appropriately. Love it. And what does that mean? What did Mary tell? She said, "I trust your judgment. You are adults here. We hired you. We trust you. You will make a good decision. You will do the right thing. We don't need a ten-page policy that nobody's going to read."
0: I love it. And on that note, let's all be adults, right? Let's create those environments that allow us to be adults, which is certainly what you have done at Menlo Innovations. Thank you, Rich, so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Tracy.
0: You can learn more about Menlo Innovations on their website, menloinnovations.com, or our website, worldblue, no And be sure to check out Rich's two outstanding books, Joy Inc. and Chief Joy Officer, which just came out. Both books are also included in our World Blue Academy curriculum, and I highly recommend them. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember to live lead, and work in freedom. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show on freedom at work. If you like what you heard and you're interested in finding out if you're a fit to work with World Blue, here's what I invite you to do next. Head on over to worldblue.com slash call. That's world and then blue without an E, B-L-U, and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and explore how to help you develop a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, or build a freedom-centered workplace culture. Remember, living, leading, and working in freedom rather than fear in order to unleash your full potential does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We have over 20 years of experience working all over the world with top leaders and brands from small businesses to fortune 500 companies, helping them achieve results with our proven methods and courses to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to worldblue.com call and book a call with our team. Now I'm Tracy Fenton, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.